Well, good day, everyone. My name is Ricky, and it's such an awesome privilege to be here today. I'm so excited about having the opportunity to encourage you from the Bible. We are busy with a sermon series called The Christmas Adventure, and we are now in week three. In week one, we spoke about the adventure that John the Baptist had. In week two, we spoke about Mary's adventure. And today, I have the uh, honor of speaking about Jesus's adventure. I want to get straight into it because I'm really excited about what I have to share with you today. I'm going to read a scripture from John 6 verse 38. It says the following, Jesus speaking, For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, this summarizes the adventure that Jesus was embarking on when he came from heaven to earth. He was going to fulfill the plan that God had for his life. When I think of the life that Jesus lived, it, it was more than an adventure. It was a mission and quite a scary one. But here we see this, this God who came from a perfect place, perfect relationship, no pain or hurt or anything like this world. And he chose to come to earth so that we may be restored to the, our Heavenly Father. What an adventure. Can you think of any greater adventure? So um, my theme scripture for this morning is Isaiah 9, verse 1 to 7. If you can turn in your Bibles and we are going to read together. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this portion of scripture. Thank you, Lord, that this, uh, this scripture speaks about the coming king. It speaks about the adventure that Jesus was to have here on earth. And I pray today that you would encourage our hearts. Thank you, Holy Spirit, 
that you come and you, you encourage us in Jesus' name. Now, this passage is all about Jesus. It was written 400 years before Jesus was born, and it was a declaration of a king that was coming. And even though it's from the Old Testament, it's all about Jesus. And if I can be as bold as to say, that is what I desire my life to, to echo. I desire my life to be all about Jesus. And I can confidently say that as a local church, we want that to be our mantra. We, we want our vision to be about Jesus. I mentioned that it was uh, a, a prophetic word which God spoke through the prophet Isaiah, which was speaking about the birth of God's son, Jesus. And this is a very familiar portion of scripture, which we often read at carols by candlelights or Christmas services. But can I encourage you today to not just treat it as a familiar scripture, allow the Holy Spirit to encourage you in something new today. This prediction of the coming Messiah was that God's son would come as a king. God was sending an unelected ruler of your life and your community. And we see this de declaration in verse 7. It said, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This is a statement of intent. Every square inch of this planet and throughout eternity, nations will come and go. But according to this prophecy, the king will outlive them all. This may be a problem to us because we don't always like kings or leaders or authority figures in our lives. And we live in a culture where we don't always trust people. People will let us down and break our trust. And this is the nature of living in a world where people have turned their backs to God. This passage is about a, a tremendous king who, who would be coming. And it speaks about what he will do, not what he might do. And this might make a few people uncomfortable because it's like, hey, this guy is quite autocratic and he, he is setting the, the statement here and saying what he will do. And I'm a little bit nervous about uh, autocratic kings. But can, can I encourage you to to just continue to hear what this portion of Scripture says, because I know by the time we've finished with this, you're going to have an incredible idea of the king that was prophesied to come and his kingdom. So I, I want to speak to you about that, the king and his kingdom. First of all, let's look at this kingdom. In verse 2, it, it describes the arrival of this king as a sunrise at the end of a very dark night. It suggests that this king's kingdom is going to be great news, a time of fresh hope. In verse 3, it says that it's going to be a joyful experience. And the word rejoicing is used three times. Isaiah is saying that this king is going to bring a wonderful flavor of joyful relief. Now, I want you to think about that emotion of of relief. It's one of the most overwhelming types of joy that you can experience. And in verse 3, it speaks about the joy 
of a multiplied nation or enlarged nation, the joy of a new harvest, and the joy of a victorious warrior. What was Isaiah trying to, to share here? If we look at it as an enlarged nation, it means that the community of people is big and that there's life that is existing. It speaks about a deep security or, you know, a bulging pension fund. This would have brought relief to the community. The joy of a new harvest. Not only does that mean that there's food uh, on your table for the season, but for people in those times, it meant that they would not have to bury their children because there was no food. Again, a sense of relief. And then the joy of this victorious warrior who received the spoils of war. When a warrior went into war, he faced death. Um, and there, were the, there was the chance that he would lose life. But the warrior that is spoken about here in this portion is one who comes away with life. This is the deep joy of relief that is being described here. If I can share a personal testimony from, from my life, um, when we were expecting the birth of our, our first child, our son Joshua, and Michelle had a very tough labor period, which lasted for about 30 hours. Um, the doctor eventually was concerned and said, we, we need to do a Caesar. Um, and we went into theater. Um, I was standing next to Michelle holding her hand. We were together and the doctor performed the Caesar. The pediatrician was there who collected Josh as soon as he came out, but there wasn't much sound coming from him. Um, he took Josh over to the, the, the little bed where he treated him. And I could see on the look of this doctor's face that there was a problem. He began to resuscitate Josh. He, he did compressions on his chest. He asked the nurse to administer oxygen. And at that moment, it felt like time was, was standing still. And here we, we experienced the joy of the birth of our, our first child. That, that is what we were looking forward to, but facing the, the possibility of, of death. Um, eventually, the doctor managed to resuscitate Josh, and he got his heart beating to, to the rhythm that, that it was necessary to be at, and there was a huge sense of relief. He, we heard the, the cry of our newborn baby, we enjoyed the, the, the moment uh, of deep relief of life. So here in that, in that moment, we, enjoyed, we had joy and we had complete relief because we knew that our son was fine. This is what Isaiah was getting to in this passage. When the king comes, you will experience joy and relief of life. In verse 4 and 5, it's, the description here is uh, a reference to the battle with the Midianites, and it was a battle that freed the, 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 the people of God from their, their presses at that time. The description of the warriors' boots and garments being burnt was more than just a victory. The only time that you would do this, the only time that you would burn your, your battle gear was when you were utterly convinced that you would never have to fight again. This is the peace that is being talked about here in this passage. 
when this king was going to come and when his rule would be perfectly established in, in the lives of people, he would bring joy and peace. He would bring freedom. Now, in your life, you, you may be living in a, a nightmare and you may be going through some very difficult things. But can I encourage you to see how amazing this king is? When, when we invite the king of Jesus to come into our life and when we allow him to establish his kingdom, he will bring a dawn and a sunlight that shines on the dark areas of our lives. Isn't this a beautiful prophetic word of the king that, Jesus, that God sent to earth? We've spoken about the kingdom. Now let, let me speak to you about the king, and in this portion, in verse 6 and 7, it gives four titles to the king. The first one is Wonderful Counselor. Now, it doesn't just mean that this king would be wise. And this word wonderful in the original Greek, we, this is not the same word wonderful that we use to describe a great cup of coffee. Or if we look outside and we see that the weather is great and and we, re, we say, hey, this is, this is wonderful weather today. No, the original meaning of the word, this word wonderful means beyond human. It means God. It means mind-blowing. It means a wisdom that has an extraterrestrial insight. When I was a, a young child, I used to love playing with Lego. And, you know, there were those moments where you kind of think as a child, who is that person who lives in the headquarters of Lego in Denmark, who knew Lego so well that they could assemble all of the bricks and they knew everything about, about the Lego. I think as kids, we even thought that the headquarters of Lego were built out of Lego. But who was that person? Who was that person who understood Lego? And who was the person who wrote the manual to explain step by step how to build these beautiful things? Now, this king that is described as the wonderful counselor, he's like that person from the Lego headquarters. He, uh, this, this wonderful counselor can describe the manual of your life. He's written the manual of your life. He's someone who knows every detail of your life. When you, what you're like on a good day, on a bad day, he knows your history, he knows what makes you tick, what makes you sad, and he's the one who brings you joy. If you are wise, you will listen to the wonderful counselor. This person knows you more than anybody else in the universe. The second title is Mighty God. The word mighty in Hebrew gives a sense of being a hero. So a hero God. The nearest we have in popular culture is most probably Thor or Captain America from Marvel superheroes, but times infinity. This is the king who gets things done. The king of kings. Human leaders will fail us. Yes. They don't always do what they say they will do. But not this leader. Not the mighty God. God will remain true to his word. And in the last season of my life, I have 
really enjoy just reading my Bible and, and just understanding the character of God more and more. I have such a great confidence in my heart knowing that despite my circumstances and despite what I or how I think God should answer my prayer, I know that I can trust him because he is a mighty God who will always remain true to his word. The third title of this king is Everlasting Father. What I love about this title is that it's a relational term. Now, kings back in the day would most probably have loved to have been called father. They wanted their people to think of them as kind. Um, it gives a sense of one who, who, who never hold, held his people at a distance, but he would want them to be close. In the context of Isaiah 9, this peaceful king who brings joy wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants you to call him father. And remember where we started the, the sermon this morning where we heard about this king that was coming and how we felt you could have felt a little bit reluctant about this oppressive king. No, we, we're now hearing that this king is referring to himself as an everlasting father. If you had to ask any father whether for Christmas this year he would want a material gift or a deepened relationship with his child, they would definitely choose the latter. What father would choose a material gift over having a deeper relationship with a child? This is a king who wants a relationship with his people. And the final title to describe this king is the Prince of Peace. The concept of peace in Hebrew was the idea of shalom. It was the idea of a perfect peace. Picture a beautiful tapestry that is made up of hundreds and thousands of different threads that are complexly interwoven together and that every thread represents an aspect of life, social, economical, physical, spiritual well-being that are all woven perfectly together. This is the concept of shalom peace. These threads coming together making a beautiful picture. And this describes the life of the Prince of Peace, Jesus. Now, if it was our lives that were being described, you know, with this tapestry, it, it would have been one with holes. Threads would have been broken and worn away. Areas of our lives would have just been an utter mess. The threads would have been unraveled and there would have been no peace. The, this Prince of Peace will restore every thread of our life. We will experience the fullness of this peace in heaven one day. It will be the restoration of this tapestry of life. Every thread will be in, perfect, in a perfect, vibrant place. This is the awesome description of the coming king and his kingdom. As I conclude today, um, we've been talking about a king and where a king is involved, uh, loyalty brings blessing. If you read the rest of this chapter, you will read the consequences of those who rebel against this king. And the Bible's word for this rebellion is sin. It leads to separation. It means that all the blessings that we've been speaking about this morning, if we 
if we turn our back on, on, on this king, they don't apply to us. This is a perfect king, but he desires us to be a citizen of his kingdom. When we look back at verse 1, it speaks about two tribes of uh, the nation of Israel. It refers to Zebulun and Naphtali. And just a reminder that the tribes of Israel were named after the sons and grandsons of Jacob. But these two tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali, they were seen as less important tribes. They, were, they weren't two of the most popular tribes. But the word humility and humble is used to associate with them. The, the person Naphtali and the, the person Zebulun, they weren't most probably seen as the two favorite sons. Naphtali was born of the maidservant of Rachel, and Zebulun was born of Jacob's first wife, Leah. And the Bible says that Leah was unloved by her husband and never shown affection. So we get this picture of maybe the two lower-ranked sons or grandsons in, in these tribes. But verse 1 says that the region of Galilee was to be honored. This coming king, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace would make Galilee his home. This incredible king set up his home amongst the forgotten, amongst the shamed, the embarrassed, and the voiceless. Isn't, isn't that amazing? We have a king who dies for our sins so that we can be permanent citizens of his kingdom. This king of Isaiah 9 chose to die so that those who rejected him could be forgiven and restored to this new kingdom. This was the adventure that Jesus came to earth for. I want to end off with a quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, The Son of God became a man so that men may become sons of God. Jesus' adventure made a way back to the Father possible. And I want to encourage you this morning to accept the invitation that Jesus gives to us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you, Father, that this morning we have learned that your kingdom is one of joy and, and perfect peace. Lord, we've heard that this, this king that you've sent is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, the, the prince of peace and, and our everlasting father. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open up people's hearts to make a quality decision to welcome this king into their lives and to choose to live by, by the directives that you have given us. We desire to be citizens of this kingdom. Thank you, Father, that we can celebrate Jesus in this Christmas season. And thank you, Lord, that Jesus, you're the greatest gift that we have ever received in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.